Hello, and welcome to Femme On Poetry Theater. I'm your host, Ada McCartney. Each episode features an interview with a fellow poet wherein we exchange news, share work, speak on inspiration and dialogue about the process of etymological transformation. Thank you for joining us. Hello and welcome to Poetry Theater. My name is Ada McCartney. I'm your host, a member of the Femme On Collective, and today I am delighted to be here with Molly. Molly is the founder of Raybox Collective based here in Tempe, Arizona. Hi, Molly. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the collective? Yeah, definitely. Um, Hey, all. My name is Molly. She, her, hers. And um, with Graybox Collective, like we are a performing arts company. And in a nutshell, we make weird art about tough stuff. And so we uh, hang out in uh, a lot of social and emotional work um, as, as the real thread of what we do. And when I say weird art, meaning it's novel, it is something that is abstract or nonlinear. And in terms of the interdisciplinary, aspect there's kind of like four projects we do each season and some of it's courtesy of COVID um we have have our in-person performance we do a film we have our own podcast and we also have uh coloring books and activity books based on our shows so that's in a nutshell and I'm sure I'll talk more about it later that's a pretty big nutshell Molly I love it um (laughs) and I'll I'll definitely link to your sites and um and to some various things in the show notes so if you dear listener want to dig into that please um one I love your website Molly I think you have just done a really fantastic job building out your web presence and I had the pleasure of sort of being introduced to the gray box collective just prior to the world of covid and it's been really inspiring to watch your evolution with the world of COVID because I think you not only embraced it, but did just a really inspiring work of kind of thriving within it and and bringing in video and just kind of blossoming. Um, was that on your radar before COVID happened or was it really adaptation? Uh, it was adaptation. Um, and thank you for naming that and saying that and like seeing that. I really appreciate it because, um, you know, it wasn't in any business plan that I've ever written like, oh, and here's how we survive a pandemic as a company. You know, like I I felt like we were really gaining traction. Um, COVID hit when we were in our third year, which a lot of companies, businesses like that third year is so pivotal. Um, so to gain traction to be blindsided as we all were uh with COVID was really um I uh I okay so I've been talking about this as like it's a blessing in disguise like I really have like squishy feelings saying that but I think there's something about COVID that allowed the company to accelerate like I think we would have gotten to this point anyways um but there is something about COVID with just like the mix of everything going on, like, okay, how do we adapt? Which is like one of the things that you've written about with our work of like be adaptable. And like this past several years, this season as well, like that that 
phrasing has just like echoed for me. Um, so yeah, definitely out of survival of how do we keep going through all of this? And, um, it's really interesting now as I'm talking with like board members and advisors of like what does season eight bring our next season. And it's like, okay, there's stuff from COVID, like it's going to stay. And also what do we really miss about the pre COVID times and, and bringing back some of those models. So yeah, it's been a wild ride. Um, but the adaptability has definitely been the driver of it. Hmm. I can deeply relate to what you've called the squishy feelings about COVID because it, it very much is, there are so many tragic things happening. And yet, um, if it weren't for COVID, I don't think that I would have started this podcast or joined this collective of amazing women across the world um, and and so many other things. Um, and I think, too, it's really interesting what you're saying about it being an accelerant to bring the company sort of to this point of maturity before you might have otherwise gotten there. Yes, exactly. It's one of those, like, what's the cliche of like, if you wait till you're ready, you'll never do anything or whatever, right? And <laughs> the it timing like, is well, never right. Yeah, exactly. And so I think it was like, well, maybe once we're an established company, then we can add in these other things. But there really wasn't that point being met so it's like, well, I guess we just do the other things now. Um, and suddenly and we're established. Of, exactly. Um, and I think it's also like, shout out to all the granting organizations that allowed us to be adaptable through it. Um, because that was also, you know, we're almost 100% grant funded and project-based. So like having organizations at a much like higher, bigger scale than us be like, yeah, cool. We get it. Do what you need to do to keep keep things moving forward um, so that we don't lose the arts economy around here. Like, you know, yeah. That's huge. That, that is, that is massive. I'm so glad you said that. Speaking of arts economy or maybe not arts economy, I'm so curious, Molly, what, um, what's news? What news are you following right now and what are you making of it? Oh gosh. Um, I am, um, with with the news, um, trying to, in many ways, I'm going to take news down to like the extremely local Please. level yeah. of like this emerging from the pandemic. I feel like I'm still seeing people for the first time. And so asking like, what is new in your life? Like, right, like so much has changed for so many people during this period of time that it's like reintroducing yourselves and and seeing what you missed and catching up on stuff um, and just really getting back to who's within my like local network uh, of who, who are my humans. And it's been hard to keep up with everything. Um, and I know that in my life, like a lot has changed just very rapidly through this time. So it's like, if I miss someone for a month, like, cool, we're going to need at least a three hour <laughs> coffee date, you know? So it's like, how do we stay um, up to date with everyone, um, especially after this time where we have been able to kind of stew in our own juices or like cocoon or whatever. Um, so that's really what my focus has been on with the news. Um, coming out of hibernation, it sounds like. Yeah, definitely. 
definitely. And a lot can change when we're in hibernation. So Oof. that is the truth. Yeah. Um, so as you're, as you're coming out into the world and, and reintroducing yourself and re reconnecting with your people. And I think it was really lovely that, that you reached out about the live show as well. Cause I, I'm just starting to kind of wake up to that myself and be like, okay, there are physical people within my proximity that I like and would <laughs> stay connected with. Um, so I so appreciate you mentioning that as as news because it's after a few years of not doing that, it's a lot of energy and a lot of work to to you know re-enter physical community um, yeah. unnecessary. Yeah. To the, to the local, to the community, to the, you know, all of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's something that like, the show that really has been the main focus for our season this year was on understanding otherness, which originally we created in 2016, like during the 2016 election and uh, presented it in 2017. And really the focus was on, you know, understanding otherness as like this hate culture was really getting amplified. And so to return to that work now, after this period of isolation and quarantine, it's been a, I guess I'll zoom out for a second, no pun intended since we're on. <laughs> but just for context, when we create work and we revisit it, it's always, you know, planting a seed and allowing it to really unfold, like discovering the way on the way. It's not something where it's like, oh, I have this vision and we'll put it on stage. Like, no. Um, so to say, hey, we're doing the show again, it's not a copy and paste. It's a brand new iteration. And so returning to understanding otherness in uh, post-COVID, uh, the latter half of COVID, mm. um, yeah, it's been really interesting to shift the focus on that understanding otherness is still the title, but it was more about what is separation and, and togetherness and what is it to come back together after time of separation, uh, whatever might have caused that separation, um, whatever might be initiating that togetherness again, but like, what is it to show up again uh, and to be in like even physical contact with each other um, thinking so much of the dance world where we we're cool humans we hang out on each <laughs> other and then it's like you know it's still we how do we come back to that in a way that feels safe in a way where communication is happening um and so yeah like what was that energy to come back together and that was really a theme that emerged in our creative process mm. I'm so glad you brought that up I I have to say I just have been in like, you know, those moments when you're doing dishes or like kind of sitting and I just keep revisiting that the live show, I, I went to a live show of other understanding otherness um, a couple of months ago after having seen it in 2017 when you first put it out. And I, I just keep kind of having these spontaneous moments of reflection and gratitude for the evolution of that show. I kind of in parallel with the evolution of your company in general, but part of it is the like personal co connection of coming out of quarantine and kind of like revisiting that human connection. But also I've just been 
like thinking about it in moments as I like listen to the news about some of the legislation in Tennessee as I, you know, listen to NPR about what's happening in Texas. And I'm just kind of like, really, I don't know, steeping in gratitude for for your asking these questions. Okay, what is otherness? What does it mean to be an other, to be other, to other somebody else? Um, and I think it really just epitomizes that weird art about tough stuff that's that's at the core of your work. And I, I also, since you said seeds, I just have to say I planted your wildflower program and it's starting to sprout. Oh, that's so exciting. Um, so all of that. <laughs> I'm, and, I'm excited. Um, I normally don't plant the, the programs myself until like this show is over because I don't want to like take a program from someone so our last show is at the on the 27th of this month and so it's like okay on the 28th I get to finally plant a program if I have any left over so I'm excited to hear that that you're you're getting your seeds is this your first um is this your first time doing programs on seeded so Molly made these amazing amazing show programs it's a little postcard um, for anybody, for listeners, it's a little postcard sized piece of paper. It's got a QR code on it. So you can scan to get all of the delicious digital yummies and the paper has wildflower seeds in it. Is this your first time doing programs with wildflower seeds in them? I don't remember that. Yeah, this is our second time. Um, and so again, one of like the beautiful things that come out of adapting and COVID is, so we did more outdoor performances, um, starting last season when we came back together in person. And since we had no idea what the season like was going to bring and, and COVID numbers were still all over the place at that time. And so we chose to go with outdoor performances and there was something about like sustainability. And if we're outside, like we have to like clean up people's like programs that they leave it behind. And then how do we solve that problem? And mm-hmm. so that's where the idea of seeded papers, um, seeded paper programs came from. And that season we performed at Sing Meadows in Tempe. Um, and so talked to Mrs. Singh about like, how do you feel about wildflowers? Like if someone left a program behind and she was like totally on board with it. Um, <laughs> that like that way, you know, not wanting to leave a trace, not wanting to, to you know contribute to our environmental issues so how can we bring that and I think even as we start to move back indoors having the seeded program makes like so much sense for the work we do um because it is we talk about you know sparking conversations or planting a seed in an idea of inspiration so it really kind of embodies it um and that so this past weekend we had a show and I printed it on regular paper and it just felt wrong so <laughs> I'm stuck with seeded paper from here on out. <laughs> oh, uh, well, I must say as a, as an, an archive person and somebody who's like a, I love to save programs. It feels really freeing to get your wildflower program because I don't, you know, I wrote about it. I have these papers and it's like, okay, I could put them in a folder and do the thing that I always do, which is, you know, put them on a pile to come back to in five years and eventually recycle, or I could plant it. And so it became this like, ceremony of planting it and kind of you know finding closure with this particular it was just really beautiful and I I think that beyond doing no harm that you really um everything about 
Graybox Collective kind of embodies that work of planting the seed and mm -hmm. and doing it better. And I really just appreciate that. Well, thank um, you. Yeah. Um, as I'll add one more thing. Like what I really enjoy about hearing that is like you are able to keep the show going in some way, right? And I think in our culture, we're just so focused on like the product and it's like this one thing and then it's like out of our mind or whatever. And so how can we engage audiences beyond that even if it's not like necessarily, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversations or something, but how do we keep the show alive in some way, whether that's through um, the planting of the programs, but that's also why we brought in our podcast and the coloring book. So that like, there are still ways to engage even when out, even when we aren't like in a performance setting. So. I think that's brilliant. I mean, I know that when they're, when the flowers, like as they're coming up, I'm thinking about, I thought about you the other day when I saw the first sprout, I'm going to think about it again when they bloom, you know? Oh. Um, so taking it way back, I'm curious about your poetry and theater origin story. And I'm curious if these questions have always been part of that, or if that's something that has evolved over time as well. Yeah. Um, yes. I'll say it has evolved as like the short answer and then I'll get into it a bit more. Um, but I'll, I'll also add like just creativity is something that I've always done. I've always been involved in. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say like my family was like a group of artists, but um, creativity was always present um like my dad was a drummer my mom was an art history major and so like surrounded by art growing up not and, artists at all uh, right <laughs> um um and so the arts were present even though it wasn't necessarily anyone's vocation um mm -hmm. and so I think there's something about the value was there more than like oh you do this for money or for work right um and writing is actually something that I have done most of my life. I don't share it a lot. Um, but even my mom was like cleaning out the basement and on my old poems where I would used to ask like family members, like, give me a word. And you do the, like the letters mm -hmm. down the acrostic poems. Right. Um, so I have like all of those. Um, and so expressions always been there in some kind of creative format. And then like my childhood was mostly dance was, my discipline of choice and it was like it's all I mean kind of tying back to adapting and just like happenstance and how everything unfolds um it was in high school like looking at colleges and where should I go to school and um, I grew up in Maine and I wanted to major in dance and I wanted to also stay in Maine for college but at the time you couldn't major in dance in the state of Maine what? So, yeah. Yes. Um, so I was like, well, yeah, theater's close. Um, <laughs> so that's how I ended up in theater because I was like, like, I'll just like, it'll work out. Um, and, and it did like, I, I went to school for theater and I mean, ultimately I graduated with more classes in dance than theater, but that's okay. And it's also though, how I kind of got into like interdisciplinary performance because I had doing these director based shows and like, here's a script and it's like, okay, cool. There's just going to be like a 20 minute dance break in the middle. 
and then it's the rest of the show. Um, <laughs> and so like that kind of like trying to sneak in what I wanted into like what I had to be doing was, was how I started merging disciplines. Um, and it was, let's see, it would be 2007. So like my junior year of college, I got a job at, um, at the time it was called the safe campus project. And it was all about, um, doing work around sexual assault and on college campuses. Um, and I had used them as a resource for myself a few years prior. And so I was familiar with the office and when they had a job open up, I was very quick to apply. And the job was one of those work merit positions where you had to like combine your studies with the job and like uh -huh. the mission of the organization. Right. So I had to combine dance and theater with like how to use that to promote um, sex or to help build awareness around sexual assault on college campuses. And like, that's where this was all born <laughs> um, right there. And then like seeing how it can really be like a catalyst for conversation and a catalyst for social change, like these little artistic vehicles um, and people on stage and the performers and creatives in it are the change agents that are in, in that artistic vehicle. So that's really where the work began to shift for me. Um, I mean, I did the classic cliche, like found a song I liked on the radio and was like, we're going to dance to it. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's a piece of what I can do. And this is the work that I really like to dig into, though, is, is like, how can the arts be used as a catalyst for social change? And that's where the questions started to come up. And I think every time there that I've done a show, um, there are more questions, right? And so there's always this kind of churning that happens. And um, yeah, and then it's like art imitates life, life imitates mm -hmm. art or whatever, just discovering the way on the way, right? And allowing um, this to all unfold and being able to look back now, um, 16 years later, and and see how it it really has like like the scaffolding has really just like set itself up to be where where everything has arrived at today. Mm. I love that. And I particularly I mean you you say the cliche of picking a song and we and we dance to it, but it's that's so relatable. Like I mean it's it's relatable, it's accessible, it's um it's honest. <laughs> I just think that's so beautiful. Um, and I'm curious as, as you're jumping into season eight with gray box collective 16 years after that fateful job, yeah. what, what are the questions that are most present right now? Like what's mm. inspiring and what's, um, what's keeping it fresh? Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, lots of things. <laughs> Um, so what's inspiring is, so I, I think of, of our work, like in many ways, the work I've done has, has always been kind of the same, it, right? It's always kind of echoed this like deep reflective space and tough topics. And it's been really interesting as the world has shifted courtesy of COVID, you know, pre 
could, I had to like really work and convince people that like, no, we need to talk about this. Hey, we need to talk about trauma. And they're like, no, trauma is actually a big part of the entire history of the US. Like <laughs> it's been prevalent. And now I feel like people are like, oh my God, we need to talk about this. We, there's so much trauma in this world. And it's like, yeah, I was saying that, but cool. Glad we got here. And so I feel like there is just this natural shift that's happened and we have like met a need that, that we were just waiting for. Mm. Um, and so it's, it, it's a lot of like, okay, what, because I think all along the way at each season has met some need in the arts community and our general community. So it's like, what are the needs now? Uh, how have we met them in the past? Mm. And those kinds of questions of like, so as we keep discovering the way on the way, what are the needs that are most apparent right now? Um, and and with that, both on the the side of the creatives and artists in the community, as well as those who are in the audience and, and making sure that there's, there's accessibility points for both of them. Mm. So one thing that I'm is coming up right now, as you're talking, you, I've noticed, I don't remember. I, I know that you have, are very connected with the performance aspect of it, but I also see you now in the last few years, really stepping into this role of facilitator of accessibility, you know, working the business side of it, making sure all of the grants line up and, and all of that really necessary, sometimes invisible behind the scenes mm-hmm. labor of creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm curious if you, if and how you're meeting that sort of personal wellspring of creativity and and what's what's keeping that river flowing? And are you, is and do you feel also, I guess a follow-up question that I'll just ask right now as it's in my brain, do you feel drawn to being in that space on stage and and having that public facing creative life or are you more interested in the behind the scenes work at this juncture? Yeah, these are so many great questions. Um, Sorry, it's a lot. (laughs) That's okay. I I think I've got it. We might have to circle back, but um, I'll start by saying thanks for naming like the invisible side of the creative life. it like there's a ton that people don't see um and I think that's part of the reason like bringing in other elements to our work is like okay how can we start to share more about what goes on before production actually is mounted or whatever um and in terms of like behind the scenes um I do or over the past two years I feel like things have really feel like I've had my own like entrepreneurial growth spurt, which comes with its fair share of growing pains. Um, and one of the things when you're just talking about that, um, I worked with a, a, an entrepreneur out here, Lavisa Jones, who really focuses on how systems and self-care can um, really support us as individuals. And so like building a system into the business that allows for care to be a part of it. Um, And we actually like mapped out the whole flow of it. And it was like, I don't know, like 
three, four boxes or something for like one project to be done. It was ridiculous to see it in that way, um, even for myself. And so in terms of like how to keep it flowing um, when going through those systems, I think I am starting to see the value of, I, I actually think about like choreographing systems. Um, mm. How do I choreograph the workflow of a project? And so like, that's also creative in another way. Um, but as things have really amped up for Graybox Collective, I'll say I've also amped things up for myself as an independent artist. And that's where I'm able to like keep things flowing in many ways. Um, because my solo time in the studio, whether it's for my visual arts or for my more performing arts side, that's what feeds me. That fuels me up. Um, and yeah, I feel like I've kind of like doubled down on myself as an independent artist, which has allowed me to be, um, feed into more the ensemble company side of it as well. Um, mm. So, yeah, but it's been really interesting that it's actually like I'm producing more because I've invested more in myself as an artist, um, solo wise, and it's allowed me to to share that in other ways as well. Doubling down on your own practice opens up the space to be that choreographer of the ensemble's workflow. I love how you put that. I've never I've never thought of. Um, a workflow or a system of business as something to be choreographed and oh man <laughs> that's so delightful so what's so as you're doubling you're doubling down on your independent creative practice what's what does that look can you talk to me a little bit about that system like what does that look like on a on a day to day and what's on your horizon as yeah. an independent artist yeah definitely um, part of what that looks like is returning to stage a little more often and putting myself, um, in, in more that, like, I don't have to worry about like, where are the chairs going to be for this event kind of a situation. Um, like I get to show up as the artist, um, and that's been really important to, to put myself in those spaces, which a lot has just been, again, like luck, the algorithms happen to, you know, send the right grant or the right call for artists my way at the right time um and being intentional about like okay is this an opportunity that makes sense for me as an individual human does this make sense as like gray box collective um so being able to tease that apart a bit and one of the things that i've done kind of through covid was um i returned to my visual arts practice which I've always done. Um, and I think once I moved out here about 12 years ago, for some reason that kind of left me. So mm. it's interesting out here, people don't know me as the visual arts side. Um, and during COVID, the visual arts was something that really kept me going. And I have wanted to really merge kind of my visual arts side and my performing arts side. And so I received the grant, um, the research and development grant from the Arizona Commission on the Arts. And with that, I'm able to have an art studio space and actually start to merge visual and performing arts myself as an independent artist. Um, wow. 
congratulations, yeah. Molly. Getting a grant is no small feat. And that's fucking awesome. <laughs> Thank you. It was like, um, it was like, I don't know, my my Mount Everest or whatever. It was like one of the only grants that I've really like consistently applied to and not been able to receive. Um, and I'm really glad that I got it this year because um, I'm at the right point to receive it, you know? Mm. And so with that, that's been really fun to like go into the studio and just be able to make a mess. And I've been focused on like embodied mark making. I feel like abstract art has become very popular and everyone talks about the mark making. And so for me, it comes from more of a space of like, okay, what all is possible in like my shoulder joint. And Mm. as I explore that, that's what's guiding my whole arm onto the page with whatever medium I'm working with. Um, and I just ordered my paints so that I can actually now level it up to do like whole body painting. Um, and yeah, so that's what I'm currently working on in the studio and documenting. And at some point we'll tell more people about it, but yeah. Thanks for sharing it with me. And I cannot wait for this. That's so exciting to show the book, the multimodal Mm -hmm. expressive sharing events. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, I'll also add, I got back to writing a lot more in the past few years. Um, and I do have a couple pen names that I write under, uh, which I'm not going to share. I'm just going to set okay. that boundary now. Um, but it's been really helpful to also return to writing in a creative capacity because so much of the writing I do is for grants. It's very like technical. It's very much focused on like an outcome. And so Mm -hmm. to be able to, um, yeah, I think part of the doubling down on myself was getting back to like who I am as a writer, not just someone who has to like write stuff. Um, but the creative side of it, as well as the visual arts and then merging it with more of the performing arts stuff. So, yeah. So for you, how important is it having, um, does, does having a pen name help you further embody the creative and step out of that? Like I'm a person who has to write, but it's just me as a person. Um, or is there another impetus behind pen names in, and I'm certainly don't not ask you to tell me what they are, but I'm just curious about, about that process of pen name and identity. Yeah, I think, um, there are a few layers to it and there, there might be like a performing side to it as well. Um, like I can tap into, um, like, a part of myself that like people wouldn't see in gray box collective or at least not overtly see. Um, and I get to dive into it a little bit more. And part of my choice with having a couple pen names was also like at that time when writing felt really important as a way to express myself. Um, I wasn't, I was at a really just kind of odd pivotal moment in my professional life where I wasn't sure about like, like, well, is this like on brand for me as Molly, the founder of Graybox Collective mm-hmm. or me as Molly, the independent artist? And so it's like, okay, I'm going to just separate this out. And I think it's also about like some boundaries, um, kind of same with that, like intentional, is this an opportunity for me as an independent artist? Is this an opportunity for the collective? It's like, well, 
where's the boundary even within myself mm-hmm. of, of, you know, like being able to understand the parts of myself as a way to understand myself as a whole, um, but having to kind of tease it apart a bit in order to really get to that understanding point. That's so important. Um, and I, I asked because that's that's something that I have been noticing a lot in conversation with uh, with some students and with other people, mm-hmm. sort of this idea of like, well, I'm afraid to write or I'm afraid to do X because I don't think it's part of, I don't think it's congruent with like, you know, the persona or the brand or the the thing that people know or the thing that I know myself as. And so to hear you speak on using pen names as a way to kind of tease out those aspects of identity and and especially as a means of finding and setting boundaries for yourself, I think that's an incredibly powerful um, Yeah use for pen names yeah yeah like the freedom there's like a liberation with like once you set those boundaries like ooh, here's now what I can work within um and I'll also say it's it's been a bit of a playground for me so like social media uh, and like having to keep up with it and like especially for gray box it's like okay here we go like trying to just always produce and I find that having the pen names is especially like on social media with my pen names, it's a place for me to explore, experiment, really low risk. Um, I can fail and it's fine, <laughs> like like really fine, you know? Um, and that's been something that's been really helpful too. Like if I find that I can't for whatever reason, I find I get blocked when telling people about the work I'm doing at the time or sharing stuff, I actually will go to the pen name and start to post more on under my pen name just to get back in that habit and that pattern to kind of unwind mm. what might have been a block when I was showing up as myself. Um, and that's been a really interesting practice as well. Like when do I choose to use or when do I find myself easily sinking into more of that pen name side of me versus gray box versus uh, myself as as Molly yeah in this process of experimenting between those facets of self have you had any um has this been a largely like individual and inspired out of yourself or have there been role models and mentors kind of modeling this path of experimentation along the way I think a lot of, um, like both and, um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of it has come down to, to like kind of my homegrown choices of what I'm doing. Um, in that I think I was seeking a lot of external validation or advice or mentorship, right? Like as we and, do as we do. Um, and I think in that it was actually kind of paralyzing because I got pulled in so many different directions because everybody has their opinion and none of it hangs out well together. So like the idea of discernment is something that I've been thinking of a lot. And with that discernment of, okay, is this advice that I want to take? Is this advice that doesn't work for me? Um, because I have found that I, I tend to shift kind of mentors as I I move through 
um, this evolution of life, human mm-hmm. business, whatever. Um, and I think like the world's just shifting so quickly. I think it's kind of difficult to find a mentor at this point. It's more about finding those that are like, maybe you're ahead of us, you know, like not your typical kind of someone who's, you know, 40 years into their career or whatever. (laughs) Um, Someone who just got there like a little faster than you. Um, And I've also found it really interesting lately, um, like seeing like who, who's making the news that like, I really admire and who's getting these accolades and awards or notoriety. It's like, okay, so that's what they're doing at the end of their career. I would like to work myself to that point a little bit earlier. So also looking at like, what's the arc of other people's careers as just kind of, um, I don't know, general research, like what have Mm -hmm. those paths look like? knowing that I don't think those paths are paths that are available for those of us um, in the earlier stages of our career. Yeah. Finding all of the arcs that have been possible for other people in order to maybe discern or navigate the new path that is yet to be. That's relatable. Is there, is there an award or an end, like a, a career milestone that you would like to put out there now to come back to in five years, 10 years, having attained on your path that we can, that we can put out into the world too. Yeah. Yeah, MacArthur genius award. Um, Yeah. That's, that's one of them. Yeah. MacArthur and genius award. Here we go. Yes. Yes. All right. And, um, and Molly, as we're, we're coming up in an hour already, I feel like I've just blinked and that happened. Um, Where can listeners find more of your independent work, more of Graybox Collective, and and also learn more about understanding otherness? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I've got website as like my individual self, and I'm sure we can like link them in the show I'll notes. Link them. Cool. Um, so my personal websites where I have more of like my independent artistry. And then Graybox Collective, grayboxcollective.com um, is another place where you can get our newsletter, which like I only send out once a month or when I feel like it. So it's not like in your inbox all the time. Um, we're also on social media, um, both Instagram and Facebook and myself as well. And then I'll also add on Instagram, there's also trauma-informed creative practice, um, it would be practices, but Instagram only allows so many characters, uh, <laughs> but that's where you can like dig into the process a bit more of, um, how we create work and all of that. So, yeah. Um, in terms of like upcoming events, we do have a few more coming up, um, at the end of April. So they may have passed by the time listeners are hearing this, um, probably, but I think we're going to um, air at the end of May in this moment. <laughs> okay. Okay, so the season will be done by then. Um, but in August, we'll have a preview of season eight. So that would be the next opportunity. And that will be virtual um, as we do have digital creatives east to west coast. Um, so so yes, we'll do a virtual season preview. And if people are interested in getting involved, that would be the first step. 
Um, and it, and when I say get involved, meaning, do you want to be a creative? Do you want to be an audience member? Do you want to be a donor or a sponsor? Do you want to commission this kind of work? Anything like that. So any kind of involvement or partnership will be the um, meeting in August. Ooh, so listeners, stay tuned for August and um, and get involved with Graybox Collective. I'm curious that that reminds me of one one more question. How so? Graybox Collective started as you and I'm guessing a couple of other people. What did it start as, and how many folks has it grown to include in these past three, five, five years? Yeah, six question. years now. Um, seven. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the year, okay, so let's see. It was 2014, I think. Um, 2014, I did a show as part of my graduate program at ASU uh, called Finger Painting for Grownups. And there's an ensemble of, and I haven't been able to restage it. And that's also one of my other like really big things is like, I want to restage this work. I want to be part of that. Right? Working on it. Um, so finger painting for grownups, there were maybe a dozen of us. And it was in that moment, that moment, that process that it was like, oh, this needs to like be a thing. And so that was really the source inspiration of like, like, let's move forward with like an actual company. Um, and I happened to be part of uh, the PAVE program at ASU in the following academic year. Um, the PAVE program was all arts entrepreneurship and basically helped you start a business. And wow. so I was part of that. And that's where like, like things started. Um, we were a part of um, change maker challenge for some seed funding that kind of let us go into our first year as a company. And yeah, that's, that's where it started. Um, and in terms of how many creatives have been a part of gray box collective over the years, like well over a hundred, um, there are those that kind of float in and out. And that's part of the, like the business model is like life happens. You can't always stay connected to a company mm -hmm. every single season. Um, and so it's a, it's over a hundred, um, creatives in the past seven years. And, um, I'm hoping with continuing the virtual side of, of the company, um, that we're able to like stay connected more. Cause it used to be like, you know, when people graduated or left and then they weren't able to be a part of it. And that was one thing that was really exciting about, um, going digital was we yeah. were able to reconnect with people like who were there in that finger painting for grownups, you know, that started it all. So, yeah. Hmm. 2014 to 2023 and beyond future MacArthur genius. Molly, thank you so much for making time to talk with me on Poetry Theater today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful to talk. Like, I love your questions. I love like the way you think and, um, you know, that I love your writing. Um, so Thank you. It, this has been great. Thanks for saying that, saying so. And um, and listeners, enjoy this episode. Find all of Molly's art in all of the places and stay tuned for the next episode. Mm -hmm.